Welcome to Deep Impact Investing with Kimberly Griego-Kyle from Horizon Sustainable Financial Services. In this podcast, we talk about sustainable investing and how your portfolio reflects your values. Do your investments seek accountability from corporations that govern more and more of our society and even the lives we lead? Listen in as we explore the question, are you investing like you give a damn? Hello and welcome to Deep Impact Investing with Kimberly Grego Kyle from Horizons Sustainable Financial Services. Kim, how are you? I'm doing good, Eric. How are you today? I am awesome. It is springtime, almost at least, and uh, we always seem to compare weather a little bit here. But I know it's nice where you're at right now, isn't it? No, it snowed last night. Are you kidding me? No, I'm not kidding you. Oh my goodness. Okay, well, let's move on then. You have a guest <laughs> on the show today. Who'd you bring on the show? <laughs> Yes, we do have another guest. I'm I'm really enjoying this continual guest series yes. that we seem to have going on at the moment. So it's kind of fun. All right. Today's guest is Jesse Waxman. Jesse is a shareholder advocate with Green Century Capital Management. I like Green Century. They're uh, one of my favorite mutual fund families. They are super amazing. And one of the reasons we like them is their divestment of fossil fuels in mm. their mutual funds, in their funds. So let's talk about Jesse though. Jesse uh, leverages Green Century's status as an investor to press companies to mitigate their exposure to the material, financial, operational, and reputational risks related to deforestation and the issues around palm oil. Jesse is also a graduate of Duke University. She is an advisory member of Principles for Responsible Investment and has had some very interesting environmental jobs in the past. I'm not going to read all of them or tell you all of them because we might be here for a while, <laughs> but some very, she has a very interesting bio. I also want to note, and this is something I really like, that in October of 2019 at the SRI conference, Jesse was named to the inaugural SRI conference 30 under 30 list. Mm. So very, very, very nice. And uh, we in the industry want to acknowledge that she will have many good things to continue to contribute to our work both now and in the future. So welcome, Jesse. Thanks, Kim. Thanks so much for having me today. And thank you for that very kind introduction. I do really like to promote my um, guests on the uh, on this podcast. And I was thinking before when I was looking at your bio, I'm like, oh my gosh, I could be her mother. <laughs> but <laughs> welcome, and I'm glad you're here. Thank you, thank you. Did I did I miss anything important in your background? I I think it was a, a very gracious introduction, covered Good. all the all the big points. Good. Uh, I want to know what in your youth inspired you to get a degree in environmental science and policy? Great question. Well, if my mom were here, uh, she would say that um, I grew up listening to a singer called Tom Chapin. Um, and on one of his early albums, he had a song about recycling and how dinosaurs get turned into oil, which gets turned into 
plastic bottles that we should then recycle. And then he had a whole album about environmental stewardship, which I listened to on repeat a lot as a 10-year-old. So I'm sure that has something to do with it. That's great. I I don't even know the singer. I, I think I need to Google. What is it, Tom? Tom Chapin. Uh, Tom do you Chapin. remember um, the Cats in the Cradle? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that was Harry Chapin, his brother. Had a bunch of great songs for kids, including on environmental stewardship. That's amazing. That's great. So why are you, as as now an adult, so passionate about the environment? What what really inspires you about it? Oh, you're asking some tough questions. Kat. I am. I want to know more about you. <laughs> you know, I, I think that there is a lot to be said about the importance of environmental conservation. You know, maintaining healthy ecosystems is certainly important for the survival of life on this planet. But I think it, it hasn't really been until the last few years that it's become much more popular recognition of how much we need these ecosystems to how much we need a healthy climate to maintain life as we know it. Thinking about how long things have been here before us, how long the redwoods have been here before us, how long all of these ecosystems that functioned uh, together have have worked until about the Industrial Revolution, I think has always been something that has inspired me. And then it's also been a, a point for sadness when we realize how much uh, damage we've managed to do as a species in the last 100, 150 years. So making sure that we are developing a society and developing businesses and supply chains that are going to better harmonize what it is we're doing with making sure that we are preserving healthy ecosystems, I think has for me been a really important part of why it is I want to be involved in doing this kind of work. That's great, Jesse. It it really is disheartening when we see things deteriorating and, and the world that we saw in our youth starting to go away or really, really going away. Mm-hmm. I'm going to move away from you. I, I know lots of people are uncomfortable talking about themselves. Let's talk about your work because that is something that we're both passionate about. And I know you do a lot of work on the deforestation issues with Green Century Funds. And I want to talk specifically about the palm oil industry today. Mm -hmm. And what we're going to do is I want you to tell our listeners how and why palm oil is such a problem. And that's a big question. So we'll dive into some of the intricacies of it. But if we're just looking at it as an overview, why is it a problem? Definitely asking the big questions. Palm oil, like a lot of supply chains, these are, they're tricky. So I think I might start by saying palm oil as a commodity itself isn't necessarily a problem. The problem that we're seeing is how um, has to do with how palm oil is grown. The ways in which palm oil can be grown that damages the environment either due to deforestation, due to the clearing of peatlands, which are very carbon-rich environments that we see a lot in Southeast Asia, And there are also a lot of problems, as I'm sure we'll get into a little bit more today, with human rights in the supply chain. I think there has been a misconception about why palm oil itself might be a problem. Palm oil, in fact, is one of the most uh, resource-efficient vegetable oils. 
Right now we see palm oil in about half of the uh, products on our shelves. It's in everything from processed foods to detergents to um, soaps and shampoos. What this resource efficiency means is that it takes less resource inputs in terms of fertilizer, in terms of water, in terms of land area to grow the same amount of palm oil, right? It, it requires a lot less inputs than it does to grow the same amount of soybean oil or other kinds of oil. Even like corn oil or any of those typical things that we might use when we're baking or Correct. products like that. Mm -hmm. As far as vegetable oil is concerned, palm oil is really the most uh, resource efficient because of how extensively it's used and the growing demand for it, not just in consumer goods products, but increasingly as a cooking oil and increasingly in Southeast Asia, we're seeing a demand for it as biofuel. Mm. We're seeing this increasing demand drive a need for increased production of palm oil. And the concern about palm oil production has been largely around, again, how we produce it and making sure that it is not contributing to deforestation. When we talk about palm oil's footprints and its environmental impacts, a lot of it has to do with clearing forests or burning peatlands in order to make space for palm oil plantations. So when you say peatlands in Asia, explain what you mean by that. Yeah, so peatlands are a very... They're kind of like a boggy environment. Most of them are fairly saturated with water. Um, sometimes you have uh, trees and vegetation growing out of them. What happens in, in Southeast Asia or what can be a problem in these palm oil supply chains is that the peatlands will be drained and then burned as a way to make way for, or to, to prepare the land for palm oil production. This has a few negative impacts. One. Uh, once that peatland is exposed to air, um, it becomes a carbon source. So rather than helping contribute to climate mitigation, it becomes an accelerating contributor to the climate crisis. Two, and the burning of peatlands has a big problem for air quality. So we see a lot of haze, we see a lot of increase in particulate matter associated with it. So Peatlands, we see quite an extensive area of them in Southeast Asia, so um, Indonesia and Malaysia in particular, where a lot of the world's palm oil is grown. So when we talk about deforestation and palm oil supply chains, a lot of people refer to the destruction of rainforests, as well as the destruction of peatlands in, in that framework. Interesting. When you think deforestation, it's not just about trees, it's about that peatland in, in Asia, which when we're talking about peatland, we're talking about the ability to absorb carbon in the air, which is what we want in terms of reducing carbon emissions. Correct? Right. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I know we're talking about palm oil today, but one of the other commodities we talk to companies about a lot is soybeans. We see a lot of soybean production in South America, particularly in Brazil, mm -hmm. and their concerns there about deforestation in places like the Amazon and their concerns that you know, continued clearance is going to turn Am the Amazon, which has been called you know, the lungs of the world, um, a big uh, oxygen producer, is going to start becoming a carbon, it will start becoming a carbon dioxide source. It will start giving off carbon dioxide instead of absorbing it. There's some recent research to suggest that that is already starting to happen. So 
in, in palm oil, that is the concern too, that we might see rainforests in Southeast Asia become a carbon source instead of what they should be, a carbon sink. That will be tragic. It would be. Other issues that we would see, I, I, this is, a, of course, a, a humongous issue that we can't deny on palm oil, but there are other additional issues around palm oil and, and part of that would be uh, the human and wildlife conflicts that we see with, with palm oil. Can you talk about that? Sure. So I think certainly recently, a lot of what we have been talking about as investors has been the ways in which deforestation relates to climate change. And we've just talked about that a little bit, but another big impact of deforestation is biodiversity loss and certainly the loss of habitats for a lot of species. Rainforests are very biodiverse, not only in terms of flora, but in terms of fauna as well. So when we think about habitat destruction, there are places that those animals need to go. What happens when habitat is reduced is animals will, there's less space for them to live in their, in their natural environment. And as a consequence, we tend to see more human and wildlife interactions. This can become a problem not only for conflicts as far as animals you know, kind of going into human environments, animals messing up agriculture, but we can see that the increased overlap between humans and wildlife that haven't historically had much contact is the increase of um, the risk of transmission of zoonotic diseases. So things like COVID-19, there are a lot of concerns that as deforestation accelerates, those risks could increase. So there's certainly a lot of, of concerns around or reasons to be concerned about deforestation and a lot of reasons to care about why we should we should really be trying to end it around the world. So not that we want to frighten people, but we could see more variants of things like bird flu or those types of things because these animals have nowhere to go and they're not going to keep those types of viruses amongst themselves, but they'll be spreading it to humans is what you're saying or could possibly do that. Yeah. I mean, hmm. so speaking firmly as not a medical professional. Correct. Um, yes. Yeah. We're not <laughs> medical professionals, but these, these things can happen. Do we know if there have been cases that we can confirm of species that have, that we've lost species due to um, increased palm oil production? To my awareness, we haven't driven any charismatic megafauna to extinction yet, but the numbers are getting pretty small. Um, a lot of times with palm oil, you'll see concerns about orangutan, which are kind of endemic to that part of the world, mm -hmm. but there are concerns around pygmy elephants. I think there's also a, a type of rhinoceros in Borneo. So I don't think we have yet but I say that with caution because you know we are seeing those numbers uh, decline. There was a startling graphic that was making its way around the internet at some point last year that was showing tigers, I believe orangutan, a rhino, and one other animal. And it was saying, you know, if these images looks, look pixelated, it's because there's one pixel for every animal that still remains in the wild. It's pretty startling the ways in which deforestation are having an impact on certainly the charismatic megafauna, but it's also important to remember that there are many, many species beyond 
those that um, are at risk as well. And when their habitat goes, even if they're not cute and cuddly, the, the loss of those species could still have quite a large impact um, on the health of those ecosystems as well. I love that phrase, charismatic megafauna. I've never heard it before. I'm going to remember it. And I'm just going to take a little pause here because this is such a intense subject. And I think this is also something Eric's going to love. I had no idea there was something called a pygmy elephant. Mm -hmm. I mean, how small is a pygmy <laughs> elephant or how big is a pygmy elephant? I, I need to know this. It, I don't know. Pygmy More elephant. I'm just picturing something very small, but I doubt it is. No, they're, yeah. they're still solidly elephant sized. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, I was hoping they'd get along with a mini donkey because. The mini donkey that I want. Yeah. yeah that's right. I don't, I don't think the County of Santa Fe would allow me to keep an elephant, even if it was it's a pygmy. pygmy elephant. Just tell them it's a pygmy elephant. A pygmy. <laughs> they don't need to see it. Yes, yeah. You can Probably be like that, Erica. you know, teacup pigs, pygmy elephants, like they're, a, seems fine. They're the same size. Right. Yeah. right Beerstein yeah. elephant. Just well, beer first it's got to pass Rose's criteria and I don't know if it's going to fly. She's not even keen about the um, miniature cow that I would like. So I don't know. Let's anyway, let's move on. Okay. Let's, let's go back to something serious here. <laughs> I know that there's also a lot of serious issues on um, child labor around palm oil production, production. And this isn't, this isn't new, not at all surprising when we're talking about supply chain issues, but does, does this overshadow any of these other issues or is this an, an equally intense topic? And how do we even approach this? How do we, how do we look at this issue as well? Yeah, I think, again, another good question. Palm oil and its supply chain, its production is a complicated issue, um, and there can be a lot of negative consequences, be they environmental impacts or questions about human rights. I don't think it's fair to say that any overshadows the other. These are all problems. Deforestation is a problem. Peatland degradation is a problem. Child labor is a problem other human rights violations are all a problem. If we're thinking about how it is we're going to correct issues in these supply chains, we need to be addressing and holding suppliers and actors throughout the value chain accountable to all of them simultaneously. When we talk to companies that work throughout the palm oil value chain, we're looking to hold them and their suppliers accountable to something called an NDPE commitment. That stands for no deforestation, no peatland degradation, and no exploitation of the workforce. So this is looking at commitments around no child labor, uh, preventing the use of uh, particularly toxic pesticides, ensuring that migrant laborers still have access to their passports, that has been an issue in the past, uh, etc. So as investors and other stakeholders are engaging companies on these issues, human rights and the issue of workers' rights is definitely something that has been a central part of those conversations for some number of years already. One of the reasons I really wanted to do this podcast topic is because I, you know, I've, I've been familiar with the issues around palm oil for a while because, you know, Green Century is one of the key components of our, our mutual fund portfolios. But I read a story 
you know, it's Girl Scout cookie season, right? And I read a story about Mm -hmm. a young girl, Olivia in rural Tennessee, and she is a, a young girl who cares, right? And, you know, she was a top cookie seller for Girl Scouts. Mm-hmm. And she discovered that after after she sold 600 boxes of Girl Scout cookies when she was 10, that it was full of palm oil in her in the cookies. And she had done some research about palm oil. And she was very upset when she discovered where palm oil came from and what it did to the environment and a number of these other issues around it with um, with wildlife and child labor issues. And she, she also discovered the words certified sustainable on the box, but also the words mixed. And when she did research on that, she understood that it meant it was mixed with non-sustainable palm oil. And what she did was she became an activist and has been petitioning the Girl Scouts to get palm oil removed from cookies, from the Girl Scout cookies. And she stopped selling the Girl mm-hmm. Scout cookies. So she went from a top seller to now a 14-year-old who is working to get the Girl Scouts to remove palm oil from cookies. Which brings me to my big point here. And as Eric knows, I don't just bring up all of these depressing problems in the podcast. And so we've talked about the deforestation and we've talked about um, the destruction of wildlife and the, the fauna in, the, in Asia. And, and we've talked about child labor and we don't want to come away from the podcast feeling depressed about what palm oil does. So my clients, my listeners, we want to know how we can help, what we can do to get involved. We know Green Century does a lot of shareholder activism on our behalf. What are the other potential easy actions that we can do that are powerful, like Olivia has done, that we can tell our listeners that they can do around palm oil? What suggestions might you have, Jesse? I love this question. One, we need more folks to be like Olivia. We need folks to recognize that there are problems in the world and take action because of that. And whether that action is to start talking about the issue and raising consciousness around problems in the world, whether that issue is starting to engage the institutions that you're a part of. So if you are a Girl Scout starting to talk with you know, the the Girl Scout community and Girl Scout leadership about where it is they are sourcing palm oil from, what commitments the institution can make, getting more involved, raising your voice, companies that might still be associated with unsustainable palm oil production, whether that's signing a petition, engaging with them directly, you know, we need more activists in the world. So following Olivia's example certainly one way to go. For folks who are asset owners, I think there's a real opportunity to be more creative in what that engagement might look like. Asset owners, I think, occupy a really unique space in having access to companies in the same way that Green Century does. So as an asset owner, if you own stock, you can talk to the company. You own part of that company. So talk to them about your concerns. 
If you're an asset owner and your assets are managed by um, a mutual fund or an asset manager, start talking to them about what it is they're doing about deforestation. Are they engaging companies on your behalf? Are they voting proxies in a way that align with your values? If you are part of a, if you contribute to a, a pension fund or something, how is your pension fund managing their money? Are they contracting with asset managers who are taking this issue seriously, who divest where they feel it's necessary? Are they looking at ESG criteria? In addition to being an activist out in the world, you can have your money work for your values and figuring out who to talk to and make sure that they are voting their proxies and engaging in a way that um, aligns with the change that you want to see in the world is your right as an asset owner. And it would be great to see more individuals asking those questions um, of their asset managers. Jesse, that's perfect. And, uh, you know, along those lines, that is exactly what we do here at Horizons mm -hmm. Sustainable Financial Services. And we really take that time to determine what's important to clients and what their values are and how to align their investments with their values, making sure that proxies are voted to their values and aligning all those pieces. And 401k plans and retirement plans are so very difficult. And I'm really happy to see a little bit of a halt on the recent DOL rules and hopefully we'll be moving in the right direction. But yeah. You know, it's, it's difficult, but we're moving forward and that's what we're here for. I cannot thank you enough for talking about this with me today. Any last thoughts from you? I, I hope that our listeners aren't too, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Depressed, distraught about, about the state of the world. You know, I think there are a lot of there's certainly a lot of problems out there, but there are a lot of opportunities for how we can make things better. I think I tend to think a lot about my work in terms of the Lorax, thinking about the ways in which we can make the uh, case for sustainability to corporations is a lot of what I do and is what the Lorax uh, himself tried to do. But, you know, going with, with kind of the main takeaway of Dr. Seuss's story there, Unless someone like you cares a whole awful lot, nothing's going to get better. It's not. And, you know, as we just talked about, there are absolutely many opportunities for um, individuals to get involved and, and make a change. So, yes, we definitely need to see more change in the palm oil sector. Um, and we hope that uh, more individuals will get involved either as an activist or using um, their money as a way to, to vote their values. Um, so I hope to certainly see more of that in the coming years. Great. Well, Jesse, if you could see me, I have a smile on my face because you brought up the Lorax. So thank you very much. <laughs> Eric, any questions from you? I, I just love the fact that I, I learn something every time we get on. And, and I think it's awareness is the biggest issue, right? That, that people aren't aware of, of certain things. It was so interesting this morning. I knew that Jesse was going to be on the podcast. I had no idea what she was speaking about. Uh, but this morning I actually watched a, a short little documentary about chopsticks and huh? how many trees are cut mm -hmm. down every year for disposable chopsticks that are used one time. There are 80 billion pairs of chopsticks made annually, which is to the tune of at least 25 million trees every year cut down just for chopsticks. So crazy, huh? It, yeah. So I, I never would have thought about that. I never would have thought about palm oil at all. I mean, as far as 
how it works and how it's you know gathered and all that jazz. I mean, that, so I love learning these new things. And as far as child labor, uh, I'm going to have to rethink my stance on child labor because I do have a hookup who brings me Thin Mints. Uh, but uh, I'm kidding, Girl Scouts, please. I'm just kidding. It's not, I know it's not child labor. I get that. Uh, but I'm going to have to rethink my Thin Mints now because, you know, mm-hmm. if they're not changing. It's hard. You know, yeah, there's all sorts of things to be thinking about. So I love the fact that you you bring on amazing guests. And and Kim, thank you for doing that. And Jesse, thank you so much for being here. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. And just as a reminder for our listeners, if they would like to contact me to talk about how to align their investments and their assets with their values, they can reach me at 505-982-9661 or Kim at Horizons SF. S.com. And I'm just going to echo that because if you are distraught, disturbed, depressed, or any of those D words from this podcast, thinking about these things that need to be fixed, that's part of what Kim does is she will talk to you about what you can do to put your money where your mouth is or your money where your heart or values are. And uh, that's a, that changes the game. So Kim, again, thank you so much. Jesse, of course, thank you. And of course, our last thank you goes to you, the listening audience. Thank you for tuning in and listening to the Deep Impact Investing Podcast with Kimberly Greg O'Kyle. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Kim comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. This makes it much easier to share these podcasts with your friends and family. Again, thanks for listening today. For everyone at Horizons Sustainable Financial Services, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Deep Impact Investing Podcast, the sustainable, responsible impact investing podcast that shows you how to get your voice heard. It's time to start investing like you give a damn. To ask a question that we can answer on an upcoming podcast, email us at info at horizonssfs.com or join the conversation on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash horizons sustainable financial services or give us a call at 505-982-9661. Don't forget to click the subscribe button to be notified when new episodes become available. The companies we may speak about during our podcast are not recommendations for investment only. You and your financial advisor can determine what the right investments are for you and your situation. Horizon Sustainable Financial Services is a registered investment advisor registered with the state of New Mexico and other other jurisdictions were registered or exempted. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the host and or guest and do not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Horizon Sustainable Financial Services. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.